Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. Good morning, Mount Church. It's fantastic to finally be with you on a Sunday morning. Brian's had me out here for several evening events. I feel honored he's finally been willing to bring our friendship into the light of day. Um, I did have the blessing of living in that same little seminary complex with the Manns and the Schmitz is uh, in Louisville, Carriage House North, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, basically, that little complex was like a modern-day Geneva, just the greatest theological minds ever to be assembled on the American continent. And if you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. In reality, it was a bunch of burnt-out seminarians, their pregnant wives, their toddlers, and their toys, all trying to uh, make things work on part-time paychecks and four hours of sleep, basically. The Ashby's and the Manns actually both packed our families up the same summer. We moved to New Barrie, South Carolina. They moved to Newton, Massachusetts, where we were going to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. And I think we, were, we realize now we were a little idealistic and naive and young. And now, sitting here 11 years later in worship together, the Lord has done a great thing in and through and for us, and I think we'd say probably despite us. Um, and the thing I'm talking about primarily are, are our two beautiful families. And um, I'm just grateful to be able to be here with you, Mount Church. You know, at this stage in my ministry and in my life, the thing that I find to be most encouraging is not exploding ministries, high attendance at church, or great financial or career success. The thing that is the most encouraging to me is to see my old friends being faithful husbands and wives, faithful parents. And so I'm really thankful for, for that testimony in the Mann family. It's an encouragement to us as the Ashby's to be here today. And I understand that our mutual friend, the uh, imminent globetrotter, Andy Schmitz, was here with us last week. Uh, the two of us met in Greenville a couple of months ago and put our heads together, realizing that Brian had arranged for him to be here last week and then me to be here. And how can we you know, try to fit our, our sermons together in order to encourage the church family here? So let's turn together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There's actually an old worship guide here from last week. What did Andy end up preaching on? The same thing, that little weasel. Okay. First, the... God, he just snuck in here, and basically, I mean, you guys have got everything good there is to get out of this text. So maybe I just give the altar call and we get home early for lunch? Okay, I mean, should I proceed or? Okay, all right, all right, fair enough. Well, why don't we read the whole chapter together? 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be with us by your spirit. We pray that our hearts would be stirred to greater and greater hope. You have not left us or abandoned us. Father, that we are your children, and one day very soon you are going to send our older brother Jesus to come and collect us to be with you forever. In the meantime, Lord Jesus, I pray, help us to be faithful churches. And we pray that your spirit would prosper us as we simply seek to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope that it's obvious by now that uh, what actually happened was Andy and I put our heads together and decided, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we preached the same passage two weeks in a row? All right, that's actually what happened. Uh, once at the beginning of your missions week, once at the end. And so Andy was last week thinking about sort of the implications of this passage in sending, in going, in doing global missions, in church planting. And then my job today is for us to look at this passage again and think more primarily about its implications for the Mount Church here, locally, particularly what's happening in this church body. A couple of times last week, Andy referenced this truth last Sunday. You cannot export what you do not have. And you could think of it organically for a second, right? Apple trees produce apples bearing apple seeds, which then sprout forth new apple trees. Orange trees produce oranges bearing orange seeds, which then eventually sprout forth new orange trees. A tree can't produce apple trees unless it is an apple tree itself. And churches can only produce faithful church plants if they are faithful churches to begin with. As exciting as it is and as mobilizing as it can be for a local church to dream and plan and endeavor to send out missionaries to plant churches, if the Mount Church is not a faithful church at its root, 
then all of her efforts at best will be in vain and at worst could do great damage to the kingdom. So as we focus then on 1 Thessalonians chapter 6, verses 8, 6 through 8 again, I want to draw your attention to your own reputation. What are the hallmarks of the Mount Church? What is it known for? And to call you to greater and greater faithfulness, trusting that the mission and the sending of the gospel and the church planting that you desperately long to do is only going to be the overflow of the faithfulness that's already happening here in Clemson. As I see it, Paul has two basic encouragements for us in this passage. Verse 6, he calls us to receive the word. Receive the word. And then verse 7, set an example. And if the Mount Church is doing those two things, then verse 8 will take care of itself. Receive the word, set an example, and then leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. Let's look again at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is commending the Thessalonian church for doing one basic thing, Simply, the word comes, and you received it. Number one, receive the word. So you want to be a church that plants other churches. You want to be sending out gospel ministers to spread the word to the ends of the earth. The word first has to be received here. Receive the word. And Paul makes sure that we understand this isn't some new concept. The Thessalonians, he says, you were just imitating, first of all, us. You became imitators, namely of Paul, the apostles, the other churches that already existed from day one, quite literally day one of the church. This is how every church has come into existence in the history of the world. It starts by receiving the word. Turn back to Acts chapter 2 with me just for a moment. Put your finger in 1 Thessalonians, Acts 2. Let's look at verse 41. This is the birthday of the church. It doesn't get more day one than Pentecost. Peter's gotten up, he's preached the word, and this is how the moment following the sermon is described in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is what it means to be a church. A group of people who receive the word and continue to receive the word. This is how every local church began its story. Brothers and sisters, this is how every Christian begins his and her story. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and guess what? That's not just where it starts. So walk in him. Every day of the Christian life, is a receiving, a receiving, a receiving of the Word. We don't move on from the Word. We move into the Word. And day after day, the pages of this book more and more become the life that we are living with one another. And as we do that, we are imitating the apostles and every faithful church for the past 2,000 years. Even more, Paul says in verse 6, 
that by receiving the word, not only are we imitating him and his fellow apostles, he says we're actually imitating the Lord himself. Have you ever considered that? That the Lord Jesus in his humanity was a receiver even of the word. Not merely as good advice, not as a fun history lesson or a fantastic tale or simply principles to live by, but the Lord Jesus himself received this word as the bread of his very existence. You remember Matthew chapter 4. Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights, and the Bible says he was hungry. (laughs) One of the greatest understatements in all of Scripture. And when he's tempted to turn stones to bread, his response is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Lord himself received the word as the sustaining of his very existence. Receive the word. This is what the apostles and every faithful church down through history have done. This is what the Lord Jesus himself did. Is that the reputation of this church? These are people who receive the word. It never seems that they are ever satisfied. They're just hungry and hungrier and hungrier and lean more and more and more upon the word of God. Churches are known for all sorts of things, hosting fun barbecues with bouncy houses and doing fun trunk or treats, having great music. But a faithful church is renowned for receiving the word. Sometimes it can be helpful to illustrate by negative examples. So why don't we think for a moment about what it might look like to not receive the word. What does that look like? Well, it can look a different a couple of different ways. Uh, sometimes not receiving looks like snipping the word off one piece at a time until there's nothing left. We have an example of that in Jeremiah 36. Maybe you know this story. Jeremiah sends a scroll to King Jehoiakim and he's sitting there and it's winter time and he's by his fire. And as his scribe reads to him three or four lines of scripture, the Bible tells us Jehoiakim took his knife and snipped it off and cast it into the fire. One piece at a time until finally the entire word had been consumed. I don't like that bit about punishing sinners. Snip. I certainly don't like that part about submitting to my leaders. Snip. I don't care for that bit about loving my enemies. Snip. Pray for those who persecute you. Snip. Until... One day, the entire scroll is consumed in the fire. Sometimes not receiving looks like denial. That was actually the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Uh, He tells his testimony in Acts chapter 26, and he says that uh, when we had all fallen on the ground, I heard someone speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What goad was he kicking against? The word of God. You see, Paul was hearing the scriptures day after day after day, and he was rejecting the plain truth of the scriptures, which is that Jesus was the Christ. I was in denial, Paul says. That can't be what the scriptures really mean. 
can't be what the Word says to me today in my life. Tell me you've never kicked against the goads in your life. <laughs> I know, Lord, this can't be what you're asking me to do. This, this, this can't be what it means. Sitting under the preaching of the Word week after week is no guarantee that you're actually receiving the Word. The kicking doesn't usually happen on the outside. It happens in here. Sometimes not receiving isn't so, so violent or overtly defiant. Sometimes it's just accidental, like sidelining. Anyone here coached rec sports before? Okay, yeah. Have you ever gotten to the end of the half and realized there was that one kid you just forgot to put in? And it wasn't because you were mean-spirited about it. You just literally forgot, and he was sitting on the sideline the whole half. <laughs> Happens sometimes. But how many times can we as churches move forward in our decision-making our worship, our activities, and nobody meant for it to happen. But the game is over, and we never thought to put the word into play. Sometimes not receiving means letting the bread grow stale. Minnie and I have, uh, have some friends in Greenville, in Greenville and, and uh, Steve is French to the core. And uh, Steve is famous for saying, there is nothing worse than de old bread. That's the way the French feel. We, we, we can make bread last a couple days at our house, but not the French, right? Believe it or not, the bread can grow stale, even to expository preachers. Believe it or not, the bread can grow stale even to churches used to a heavy diet of expository preaching. How do we keep that from happening? My friend, Pastor Todd Marikawa of Kailua, Kailua Baptist in Hawaii says, when regular patterns of worship threaten to become dry and lifeless, we might be tempted to abandon them. God forbid. But when people are afraid of things becoming rote, just pray against it. Just pray that that doesn't happen. Just do it well. Preachers at Mount Church are you constantly working to hone your craft as a preacher to make sure the reason your people are struggling to receive the word is, has nothing to do with the fact that your preaching has grown stale? And members of Mount Church, are you constantly praying week after week when you enter these doors that the Lord would make your heart receptive so that the word is living? when you receive it. Mount Church doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So may you receive the word. Here's a beautiful picture of what Paul is commending the Thessalonians for doing. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We want our churches to be places that are hospitable to the word. We linger over the word. We savor the word. We don't hurry the word along or say, the word needs to be done <laughs> between these two times. We welcome the word.
from the pulpit. We welcome the Word into our conversations, into our workplaces, into our schoolwork. We welcome the Word from the mouths of our pastors, from the mouths of our fellow church members, from the mouths of our parents, from the mouths of our roommates, our spouses, perhaps even from the mouths of our children. Brothers and sisters, do you want to see the gospel advance into your community and into the world? You have to begin by allowing the word to advance into your own heart. Receive the word. So that's verse 6. Let's look at verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. This brings us to our second point. Set an example. Every generation models the gospel to the next. This is the precarious nature of the kingdom. If even one generation of the church fails to do this, the church will cease to exist. Now, we have the promise of Jesus that that will never happen. And the good news is the gospel has a pretty good track record. So far, it has echoed down through the example of one church to another for 2,000 years. <laughs> uh, but Mount Church, that, that, you know, that might should light a little fire in you to say, you know, this thing's been going for 2,000 years. The gospel failing to get to the next generation, it ain't happening on our watch. Set an example. But what sort of example? Well, the example that Paul's commending is the way, the manner in which they actually receive the word. Okay? In fact, there are four qualifiers in verse 6 that explain to us what this example looked like. Okay? So let's read the second half of verse 6 again. This is the kind of example you want to you set. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're going to talk about that example for just a few minutes. First of all, set an example in much affliction. Think for a minute about heroes of the faith. Famous names from church history. Andy mentioned last week Adoniram Judson. Maybe that's someone you're familiar with. Think of others. Martin Luther, Athanasius, John Wycliffe, John Huss, Amy Carmichael, John G. Payton. I'm sure you have hosts of others you can think of. All heroes. But what words define each of their lives? Much affliction. Much affliction. Something about faithfully receiving the word brings affliction. Why? Well, because the flesh rails against it. The world rails against it. And the enemy himself rails against it. So be careful, Mount Church, when you pray, Lord, make us a church planting church. We want to plant churches. We want to send out gospel ministers. Understand this is the equivalent of praying, Lord, give us affliction and much of it. Set an example in much affliction. And secondly, verse 2 calls us to set an example with joy. There's this odd thing about the local church. 
uh, we're the kind of people, God's people are the kind of people that feast in the wilderness. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's who we have been ever since God rescued us out of slavery. Things get hard, and we throw more parties. Things go terribly wrong, and we shake the roof with our songs. We experience pain, suffering, and loss, and we want to have dinner together. Or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, but you go read any of the biographies of the folks that I just mentioned a few minutes ago, and you will see that at one moment or another, each of them faltered on this one. Receiving the word with joy. And I could stand up here and give you a bunch of examples and encourage you and say, you need to rejoice in all circumstances. Be joyful always. Again, I say rejoice. But you know, when life is really, really hard, I'm just speaking personally, you can decide whether you commiserate with me or not. Hearing a bunch of examples of people who did better than me in those circumstances and somehow had joy, it ends up making me feel more discouraged and maybe jealous, but it's not much of an encouragement. <laughs> so I'll give you an example from our family's life, not to say we've found the secret, be like us, look how awesome we are, but to say, take heart, brothers and sisters, joy has a way of finding us when we are a word-filled family. My mother-in-law was diagnosed this past year with uterine cancer. As far as I know, there's only two kinds. The one is super easy to treat. It's 90% of the cases. Basic surgery takes care of it. And then the other 10%, the more rare kind, is very invasive. Even with surgery and lots of treatment, the long-term prognosis is not so good. And of course, my mother-in-law ended up having the rare kind. But here's what I've seen happen over this past year. I've watched how my mother-in-law's suffering and affliction has galvanized the Fox family. This past summer, we were up in Maine together, as we always are, and Mindy and her sisters were busy putting together little envelopes filled with pictures and little crossword puzzles and notes of encouragement that, that mom could take with her to every single chemo treatment this fall. The family group chat is filled with encouragement and prayer and celebrating the smallest victories. Our dinner table at the Ashby House is always echoing with little sweet prayers for Mama. And my mother and father-in-law are rediscovering what is most important in life to them. Has the family grown together? Yes. Do we still hate cancer with every fiber of our being? Yes, we do. Have we discovered joy in affliction? I'm not sure yet. But here's my point. When suffering comes and you want to find joy, here's a place to start. Suffer together. Suffer together. We're on a quest for joy in all circumstances, but maybe we don't need to find joy at all. Maybe in the midst of affliction, we just need to find each other and together cling to our hope in the gospel that joy will find us. The gospel came, the gospel found us, we just had to receive it. Maybe it's the same thing with joy. Joy will come, 
joy will find us one day. We just have to be ready and willing to receive it. So we set an example in much affliction. We set an example with joy. And where does that joy come from? It's the joy of the Spirit. The joy of the Spirit. This speaks to what binds together Mount Church. What unifies you as a people. Is it that you share the same political affiliation? Is it race or class or gender? Is it that you have the same food allergies? Or, this is Clemson, is it that you cheer for the same sports team? If the Mount Church truly is a work of the gospel, then there ought to be such a disparity, such a diversity among the members of this church that the outside testimony of this town is the only thing that could possibly be holding those different people together is. Spirit of God. Because there's no other explanation for how those people could be so unified. The Spirit unifies the church. The Spirit is also what guides the local church. Not the podcasters you enjoy. Not the news. Not your favorite author or substacker. Not some ideology. It's the Spirit. That's what guides. That's who guides the local church. Spiritual wisdom drawn from the Word in the communion of the saints. You want to set an example, rather than being the kind of church that says, what did Andy Stanley say about this thing last week? You be a church that asks, what is the Spirit's testimony through the witness of His saints for the last 2,000 years? Because the Spirit binds us not just with the saints alive, but with the saints eternal. So let your example in the songs that you sing, in the words you confess, the way you worship, proclaim, we did not invent Christianity. We didn't write this book. (laughs) We are heirs, every one of us, and an heir's job is simply to make sure they don't lose the farm. (laughs) Set an example in much affliction, with joy, of the Spirit, But let's not forget what sort of spirit we're talking about here. Joy of the Holy Spirit. I think usually, you know, we're so used to talking about the Trinity, we just breeze over that word, Holy. Holy Spirit. But we need to realize that the Spirit's presence among us is to set us apart for some holy purpose. We've got six kids at home. And it is a daily thing that we say in our home, that's not what a chair is for. That's not what the couch is for. That's not what a stick is for. That's not what your sister is for. That's not what the toilet is for. Brothers and sisters, holiness is about knowing what the church is for and what it ain't for. When we start using the local church for things it wasn't intended for, not only will we affect our church, but anything that you all export from here is going to be affected as well. The church is no good to the world if it fails to remain the church. And the church fails to remain the church when it is no longer holy. 
one holy purpose is the church forward. Here's my best stab at it. I think that Thessalonians would bear this out. In short, the church's purpose is the preservation and propagation of the good news of Jesus Christ. You want to know what holy purpose the church is for? That's it. The church's purpose is the preservation and the propagation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Or to use the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, the church has been entrusted with the gospel. You protect it, you pass it on, and if you have done that, you can say at the end of the, of the day, this is a successful church. More importantly, this is a holy church. The church's life together, her mission, her ministries must all endeavor toward the faithful stewardship of this gospel. When we depart from this holy purpose, when we stop preserving the gospel, I mean, forget missions. You've got to preserve first. If the gospel's been polluted, it's of no good to anyone you take it to. But you've also got to propagate. There should be a sense got pages falling on my Bible here, but there should be a sense in, in owning a, there, there's a sense of shame in owning a 30-year-old Bible that's still in pristine condition, isn't there? You've preserved it so well because it's never been used. <laughs> Mount Church, beware of preserving the gospel so well that it can never touch lepers. And it can never eat with tax collectors and sinners. And it can never hang on a cross next to thieves. We share in the holiness of Jesus himself. He was not defensively holy. His holiness was on the offensive. His holiness invaded our sinful world. His holiness came, touched the unclean, and they became clean. His holiness suffered in our place on a shameful cross for our justification and rose again so that we might be His. That is what holiness means. To be His. So let us set an example of holiness. Verse 6. Receive the word. Verse 7. Set an example. And if you do, verse 8 will be added unto you as well. For not only has the word sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. Do you notice the two things that are sounding forth there in verse 8? The word is sounding forth. And your faith is sounding forth. When we receive the word and we set an example, the mission seems to have a way of taking care of itself. We get so worked up about the mission, planting churches, got to plant churches, who are we going to send, who are we going to train, who are we going to send them through, but it's almost like the Thessalonians were just trying to be faithful as a church. And they were so set on receiving the word and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit that the mission almost happened by accident. 
And this is the problem in the modern church. The temptation for us even more is that this, these days we have tools and networks and sending agencies at our disposal that we think will magnify our impact to the ends of the earth. Podcasts and blogs and the internet and email newsletters. And none of these things are bad. But they become bad when we trust them to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. You want to see a picture of how church planting actually has happened down through the ages? Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. I'm sorry, Acts 13, 13, Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. Who are the Barnabases? Who are the Sauls of the Mount Church? Where should we send them? How will we fund them? Where will, the, where, where will they go? These are all reasonable questions. Which the Holy Spirit will answer for his church in due season. You all be busy receiving the word and setting an example so that when the Spirit turns the Mount Church into a megaphone, the nations will hear the gospel loud and clear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to encourage my brothers and sisters this morning. It's an encouragement to me just to know there's a faithful church in this corner of the upstate, faithfully preaching the word, people that are hungry for the word. God, I pray that this church would be an example, a humble example. God, keep this church humble. And yet, may they recognize their responsibility to set an example, whether that's to other churches here in this community or to churches on the other side of the world. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, that as they are faithful to receive the word and as they are faithful to do so in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would magnify their impact for your kingdom to your glory and for their great joy. I pray all these things for the Mount Church this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.